Support for this podcast comes from ODC Dance. The world-class company returns for Dance Downtown, March 27th through the 31st, with two electrifying programs and five works, springing from cartoon, the news, and human connection. ODC.dance slash downtown. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. Mic check, check one, check two. Are we here? All right, we're here right now-ish. What's the word? What's the word? Welcome to Right Now-ish. I am your host, Pendarvis Harshaw. Today, I'm asking you to pop some popcorn, grab some red vines or jujubes, and get comfy. We're going to the movies. Well, actually, we're bringing the movies to you. This episode marks the first installment in our mini-series on filmmakers in the Bay Area. And the first person we're talking to is Maya Cueva. She's produced documentary films that cover heavy topics of immigration and reproductive justice and xenophobia. One of my workers, uh, fellow workers, she was from Germany. One time she said, if you don't like it here, why don't you go back where you come from? And she's managed to do so by letting the people in her films show who they really are, full people with nuanced personalities. I said, lady, the indigenous people are the ones who were here first. From there on, she never confronted me with that idea again. Today, we chop it up with Berkeley's own documentary filmmaking artist and activist, Maya Cueva. That conversation in just a few. Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. Parking at SFO is easy when you book online. You can choose dates and times in advance and secure the best rates to make your departure stress-free. Learn more at flysfo.com parking. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. I don't think of myself as like the voice of the voiceless, <laughs> which I think is bullshit a lot of the times. Um <laughs> I think that like a lot of filmmakers like will often be like told that we're kind of supposed to say that like I'm the voice for the voiceless and I just I don't think that that's true I think what's important you know someone else's story is approaching it in a way where you know we're asking what are stories you feel like aren't being told or how do you feel like you know you've been mis- misrepresented um, or ignored I'm Jewish, Peruvian, Jewish, Latina. Like, growing up, I didn't really have a lot of representation of my identity on screen. Not only did I not feel like I wasn't being represented, but I was seeing a lot of misrepresentation of my community, you know, people who looked like my father and my family. Flash forward to being 15 or 16, I ended up joining Youth Radio, which is now known as YR Media. What happened at the time was there was a rape that had occurred at uh, Richmond High School. It was, you know, it was a horrible incident. And so what I was seeing was like big news outlets were talking about this, this incident, but they were saying things like, you know, this was inevitable to happen in Richmond. 
this is a city that glorifies gun violence and rape culture and basically just saying like this is inherent to Richmond culture. So I decided to write a commentary that really focused on the damaging news reports that were really criminalizing black and brown people in Richmond. I remember being like super nervous because I had to go live (laughs) at like youth radio's radio station and I read out my commentary and I remember it was that moment that I was like, oh, this is like what I want to do. What, what are you working on right now? Currently, I'm working on a feature documentary that I've been working on for six years, actually. And it's a film called On the Divide. And it's following three people who are all Latinx who are unexpectedly connected to the last abortion clinic on the U.S.-Mexico border in McAllen, Texas. We're following a man. His name is Ray. He's a security guard there. We're following a woman named Mercedes, who is a self-proclaimed prayer warrior or pro-life, anti-choice protester. And we're also following a woman who, her name is Denise, and she helps patients safely walk in and out of the clinic away from the protesters. So it's a film that I have been working on for a very long time now, and we're really excited that um, we are finally at the finish line. It's a film that I'm co-directing with a good friend of mine that I met in college, Leah Gallant. Um, and it's definitely been a journey, but we're excited that we're almost almost done. <laughs> Six years in the making, a marathon. How do you stay focused on one topic for so long? What really keeps me focused is, you know, the idea that, you know, access is really, really dire. And specifically in a community like McAllen, which is on the border, there's so many other factors that um, come into play. So it's not only that there's only one abortion clinic here, but for undocumented women trying to get access, this is also really, really hard because they have to travel through border checkpoints in order to get to the nearest clinic that's 250 miles away from them. So if this clinic were to close that we're following, there would be virtually no access for for women or patients who are undocumented um, and are seeking abortion care. You mentioned immigration and how that plays a role in covering abortion, but also you've done work specifically about immigration. Can you talk to me a little bit about your film, Ale Libre? Yes, yes. So I actually uh, came across Ale's story when I came across a petition um, about asking for her release from the ICE detention center. I am a criminalized person. I'm a community organizer. I am a community member facing deportation and have been fighting my deportation case for the last eight years. I kind of just started doing a research on her and I came across like all of her work. She's a reproductive rights organizer as well as immigrants rights organizer. When I talk about my my case and my story, I get like knots in this right side. But it's only because I've been learning how to listen to my body and I've been doing a lot of healing work and trauma work. And I also found that she had a web series about like brujeria and witchcraft and how that intersects with organizing. And I was just was like, this person is really cool. And I just wanted to know more about her. So I ended up doing a radio feature about her for Latino USA. Um, and it was really following, you know, her whole life story, but also this petition to get 
her to be released. And fortunately, she was released in March 2018 from Eloy Detention Center. And then after her release, she actually hit me up and was like, hey, like, I'm actually really thinking about, um, you know, getting my story out there in a, a documentary. Like, do you know anyone who could potentially make one? And I was like, actually, yeah, <laughs> I am a filmmaker and I would really love to share your story in that way. And the film is really following her um, after her release and her fight for political asylum. You with the follow up, you know, not just doing the story once, but also like staying with the story and like a continuous thread. And one of the more fascinating things about journalism that they didn't teach me in journalism school. Yeah, exactly. I think that follow up is really important. It's necessary too, even as as like journalists and filmmakers, right, that, you know, a lot of what we do is share other people's stories and Oftentimes that can be exploitative if there's not a real follow-up. On that note, your approach to your work, do you see it as an art? Do you see it as a, um, activism? Or do you see it as a, just a documentation of life? I definitely see an intersection of all three of those things um, in the work that I do. I also do feel that there is an art behind pushing those stories forward. I have been around like-minded people my whole life um, and I don't necessarily think that that pushes causes forward. Um, so for me, in general, I like to approach filmmaking and, and storytelling in a way that turns issues on its head or makes you think twice about someone that I might be filming, you know. For Ale specifically, what's really interesting is that, you know, she is a reproductive rights organizer and an immigrant rights organizer. But she also, when she was 25, got a DUI. We've all made mistakes, but has it landed us two years in jail or two years in prison or two years in a detention center? For many of us, no. The advocacy that I do, that the work that I do, that my values, what I'm centered in, if I do that in Mexico, I will be in danger. Abortions are not legal there. I don't want a parent right now. And if I get pregnant again, I will have another abortion. So to me, that's something that I think about every day. My life will completely change if I am deported. If we lose... Contextualizing a person and putting them in their full light is something that you do in the film Only the Moon, the piece about your father. There's a scene where he says a word, he's describing his beard, and the illustration makes a beer grow out of his beard because of his accent. I was actually going through a change myself because I grew out of beard, long hair, beard. I started living with this roommate of mine who actually was German. Um, was and I love it, though. You know, like it's, it's a fun moment in the midst of a story that's um, pretty heavy. My question to you is, what was your approach in telling the nuanced story of your father? So I love that that um, scene stuck out to you because I feel like that scene of the beer beard like really is a good representation of just like who my dad is <laughs> um, and like the kind of play on words. But what really brought me to tell the story of my father was, you know, these were stories that I was raised with my whole life. My father went to a shaman one time and the shaman already knew me. He told my father that I was going to fly away because two years later I left for the U.S. My father is from Peru. He grew up in Ayabaca, which is the Andes, 
um, in northern Peru, so very close to Ecuador. He came here when he was 18. First came to Chicago and then made his way to, to California um, many years later. He was a pioneer in, in Silicon Valley as, a, as a, like one of the few uh, Latinos in tech at the time. This was like the 90s, early 2000s, and he had to deal with a lot of discrimination. And in fact, the first time I started in California working for a startup, another engineer sent me to open some boxes. And I told him that, you know, why does he do it? Is he busy or what? And what had happened is he confused me with a maintenance guy. My approach was, you know, asking him just straight up, like, you know, you've told me these stories so many times. What do you feel like is important for people to know or understand about you? And that was really how we kind of went through the process. I feel like I've come to a full circle from my childhood to my present time. I feel like I've come through various phases like the moon, but I remain the same. We didn't have many, like, photos of my dad in Peru when he was growing up. So I often would kind of reimagine the stories in kind of a storybook way. Um, so that's why I decided to approach the film um, in it, through an animated lens. And me and my dad really both love animation. Um, and then I ended up hiring an, an animator. Her name is Leah Nichols, and she's amazing. So, all right, so with your father and even the other stories that you've grown to know, how do you walk that fine line of you're the storyteller, so you're the power holder, if you will, um, and at the same time, is your attempts to empower this person and let them tell their story? And, like, how do you balance those two things of, like, I know what story needs to be told versus, like, I need to let them tell their story? I think it's really hard as filmmakers to think that we can be objective <laughs> completely. The balance is, you know, making sure that when I do approach the subject, I'm initially asking them, you know, what are stories you feel like aren't being shared? Or how do you feel like you're being misrepresented? Because I cannot speak for you. I can get a camera and I can interview you and ask you certain questions, but ultimately like, your voice is the one that needs to come through and shine through. Like, I think an example is when I was first approaching the, the abortion clinic that I'm following in my feature, something I asked the, the communications director was like exactly that. Like, you know, I feel like a lot of news media comes in here and they want to tell a certain story, but like, what is the story you feel like is missing? And she was like, oh, no one's ever asked me that before. <laughs> I don't ever want to come into a, a space, first of all, a community that maybe I identify with, but I'm not a part of and think that I'm an expert. This conversation with Maya left me thinking about the role of a filmmaker, storytellers in general, and how hard it is to capture all that needs to be told while being concise. To be an artist and to be an activist and to be a person all at one time, it's a lot. So thank you, Maya Cueva, for doing all of that and for sharing your story with us. Best of luck on everything you got cooking. You all can follow Maya on Instagram at maya.cueva, that's M-A-Y-A dot C-U-E-V-A, or on Twitter at 
Maita Cuevita. M-A-Y-I-T-A-C-U-E-V-I-T-A. All one word. Marisol Medina Cadena is the producer of this show. Jessica Plachik is the engineer. And this episode had some special assistance from Kiana Mogadam and Susie Racho. Our engineer is Sil Muller, and the engagement team is Lena Blanco, Sarah Pineda, and Jacqueline Carbajal. KQED execs are Erica Aguilar, David Marcus, and Holly Kernan. Once again, this is our first entry in our short series on filmmakers in the Bay Area. Next week, we're right back at it with the sequel, so make sure that y'all subscribe and rate the podcast. Cool? Cool. Thank you for listening. Have a good one. Peace. Right Now-ish is a KQED production. Hey, I'm Brian Stelter, and I hope you'll join me on Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. Every Thursday, I'm getting the inside take from the best reporters in the country on what figures like Elon Musk, Donald Trump, Kevin McCarthy, and Marjorie Taylor Greene are doing. I think she wants to make things happen. She wants to get legislation passed. She made clear to me that she wants to have a president who upholds Christian values. She embraces the term Christian nationalist. That's Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, John Favreau here. There's no shortage of political takes in 2024, but quantity doesn't cut it. We need a better conversation about the latest biggest election of our lives. On Pod Save America, me and my co-host cut through the noise to help you figure out what matters and how you can help. Every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday, Pod Save America is breaking down the political news that makes us laugh, cry, and snap our laptops in half. Expensive year for laptops. Make sure to check out new episodes of Pod Save America on your favorite podcast platform or our YouTube channel now.